Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 13 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels, both in legends and canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will continue through Star Wars Thrawn, moving into part two of my coverage of chapters 21 through 23 with my good friend, John Reimer. John, it has been an age, man. Oh, sure. It has. It sure has. (laughs) But John, it's been a few minutes since we've last recorded. (laughs) Yeah, but for the listeners, it's been two weeks. (laughs) That was some good talk we had about chapters 21 and 22, and we got a good one on our hands here with 23, where 22, it seemed kind of centralized on the Bodajev conflict, where here we have at least a little bit more variety of scenes, I think, a little bit more to it. How about I give my summary and we can dive right in? Yeah, sounds, sounds great. Admiral Thrawn and Eli report to Imperial High Command to discuss a mission to Bataan. They learn that insurgents overran an Imperial garrison on Scrim Island, located off of Bataan's main continent. Not knowing the full extent of the insurgents' island defenses, Thrawn asks for more time to study the situation. Seeking immediate action, Fleet Admiral Danasius instead assigns Admiral Durrell to the mission and reassigns Thrawn's task force elsewhere. Thrawn sends Commander Pharaoh to carry out Denasius's orders and takes Eli in a civilian shuttle to Bataan. There, they witness Admiral Dyril get outmatched by the insurgents, who are equipped with ion cannons and even a turbolaser. Thrawn and Eli notice eight freighters fleeing the island while Dyril's ships were distracted. One of the freighters attempts to jump to hyperspace, but Eli hails it posing as an arms dealer. The ship warily agrees to meet, sending them hyperspace coordinates. Right off the bat, pretty much, this chapter, this first scene is in Thrawn's point of view, and they're in Imperial High Command, and they're entering the headquarters, and the person at the door greets him with Admiral Thrawn, which we got no indication that he, the no promotion scene or anything like that that we've been given when he was promoted to Commodore, but right now, our guy is an admiral i was like yeah oh wow <laughs> a big a big step up and i think i don't know if they just call lieutenant commander commander like i don't know if they're interchangeable terms but eli is now being referred to as commander so i don't know if he has also stepped up i don't know i think if, that yeah i'm looking at the, the it end could of just 22 be like shorthand for yeah lieutenant i think it's shorthand commander. yeah because okay. thrawn had well, called him commander vanto so I think it's it must be shorthand, I think. Okay. Well, either way, he's uh he's still doing fine. Still doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's still he's comfortable. He's not an ensign. <laughs> yeah, he's still above uh, Lieutenant Gim, which is all the satisfaction that he needs. So right off the bat, we get the indication that there's this big mission being planned. And so they enter the headquarters, and Danasius introduces Thrawn to the people in the briefing room that they're in. We have Admiral Duril of the ISD Judicator and Admiral Kinshara of the ISD Stalwart. And I know that you haven't read the Legends Thrawn trilogy, but I like this moment where the Judicator, the uh, Star Destroyer, the Judicator, had shown up in the Legends trilogy books. And I like how they brought that back in here, where it's like a little callback to uh, the same Star Destroyer pop up in, in canon now. Was it important or was it, I mean... It had uh, been mentioned many times, I think, where I think it had 
spearheaded a few a few missions, okay. a few attacks against the rebels. So it's a okay, name so that it's, it's more of a familiar name as opposed to if you've read the Legends trilogy, then you'd know. Otherwise, it's like I don't think it's it's shown up outside of okay. that. So. All right. You know, and it's a shame that Admiral Dural is the admiral of that ship because we gather from Thrawn's italicized perceptions of the room that Dural kind of like looks at Thrawn with kind of like disdain at a non-human being there. And I'm just like, yeah, the, another the, day, another the, racist. Yay. <laughs> say that the racist meter is pinging on him. You know, the, the spidey sense is activated, but the other two guys seem pretty cool. Yeah, Kinshara was like, he politely returned the greeting, and we, we need more guys like Kinshara where they're just like, yeah, you know, Thrawn's a non-human, he's here, he probably deserves it, I'm going to be polite, instead of Duril just being openly contemptuous and just rude, I'm just like, yeah, well, two different instances of racism in as many chapters, it's it's not a good look for the Imperials, so. Well, I mean, they've, they've got other other bad looks. Not really a great time to beat him. Kind of, kind of in character for them to also yeah, be. Yeah, very. Yeah, <laughs> lots of instances of racism across the board. You know, I think it's cool that Price is there too. Not that Lethal is directly involved with what they're planning, but it's it's close to Baton, and she's, you know, she's there for you know just to see how this might affect her system. And we find out from Yularen, who's there, he's briefing the admirals that there's been a lot of insurgent activities in that sector. And Yularen saying that there's a lot of these groups that are starting to work together in some capacity. And I thought, you know, you might like this where it's like another hint of spots of rebellion kind of popping up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was a big moment to ping for me as well. Because Boda Jeff, everybody was like, okay, if this goes bad from the Imperial side, other systems could follow. But now we're in a position where Yularen's like, hey, like some of these planets out here in the Outer Rim, like they're... They're starting to band together. They're starting to coordinate, which, I mean, maybe this is the, the book conditioning me to this, but that also pings my uh, my Night Swan pinger. That's a that's a flag for Night Swan for me. I don't think <laughs> they call Night Swan meter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a meter I didn't know I had before I started reading. <laughs> we all find I'm it. <laughs> constantly wondering <laughs> how much Night Swan juice is in the gauge. But <laughs> a couple more drops were added here by this conversation with you, Lauren. Because it's, it's something we haven't talked about for a few chapters, and it's definitely one of the larger plots of the book. Yeah, this story kind of takes place around the time that we'd expect these kind of spots of rebellion and insurgent activity to be happening. And we did actually get a, a direct link to the Rebels show here where uh, I think someone had asked, like, why is Price here unless she's possibly going to take away resources that we need? And I think Yularen had said that Admiral Constantine is dealing right. with the Lethal insurgents. There's four planet governors there, but only three admirals representing yeah. three military groups. And they're all like, hey, this math doesn't add up. It's like, yeah, Price... Price yeah, already she, has it covered. Yeah, and, she's already got some taken and care And is of. that, that's part of the show, is what's going yeah, on there? Yeah, Admiral Constantine, uh, he, before Thrawn showed up in the show, he was the one dealing with uh, the rebels on Lothal. So I thought that was a cool gotcha. little link and just a reminder that, you know, we're kind of well into different <laughs> the, spots of, of revolt do, do happening. the rebels on Lothal think as poorly of Price as I do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you've taken the cake, up man. as I am? Because if not, <laughs> they got to get more woke. There, there, <laughs> there's more things going on here. <laughs> they got to go in a podcast and have the chance to really give their thoughts. 
on price. <laughs> That's a cool, uh, a cool just a reminder that these things are happening. And and I I like this where Yularen saying, and I quote, and they typically don't trust another any more than they trust their own governments. He said of the insurgent groups. And I was reminded here of the scene in Rogue One where we saw kind of like that debate scene between the different rebel factions talking about whether they should attack Scarif or not. Where we saw like how divided the rebels could actually be politically and we're seeing here mm-hmm. that oftentimes these until they formed the rebel alliance and even after then probably like they really didn't trust each other because it's just a precarious situation which i thought that was that reminded me of the the rogue one scene there you're right you're right and that's yeah rogue one has a little bit of that at that point right though the rebel alliance is already mm. formed but you can think of it in its earliest days as groups of different insurgents like well yeah they all hate the empire and some of them maybe hate price more than others but they all they all come together from different planets with like where hating the empire means different things yeah like on one guy's planet it could be like hey the empire like literally rounds up tens <laughs> rebels a day and and executes them in the streets and another's like oh well uh they stole some of our business so you can understand them just having different situations and because of that why would they work with somebody on a different planet unless they're starting to be organized by somebody? That's what was really thinking yeah. my Night Swan meter is it takes somebody to go between a couple of different planets to unite them on their common ground. Yeah, because um, the stakes are different yeah. for them, yeah, for depending on the group. Mm-hmm. So we find that the these insurgents on Scrim Island had taken control of the kind of like the Imperial facility there, that this is a hostage situation where... They're holding hostages, then they have control of the island's energy shield and their defenses, which include at least three ion cannons. And Donasius tells Thrawn, all right, this one's yours. Let's see what you can do. And upon Thrawn asking for the island schematics, they find out that they don't know which ion cannons are active, that there's eight defensive emplacements. Mm-hmm. And that they don't know which ion cannons are actually functioning. And so Thrawn was asking more time. You know, th- there's factors here that we don't know. He needs to study the situation. And that's met by resistance here, where Donasius is saying, no, go in now, blow up the island if you have to, just make sure that you get rid of the rebels. And make and, a statement, you know? Make a st- yeah. I, I like Thrawn's response here, where... He points out that, yo, if I go in and just blow up the island, that kills the hostages and that there are better ways to do this. What did you gather from that that interaction? I think I also loved, because, you know, I've come to come to root for Thrawn, that he got offered this job first. Like, Yularen was giving the briefing, so I think he might have had a small part to play of like, hey, like, Thrawn can handle this, but like, high stakes, hostage crisis, that's where Thrawn feasts. And Yularen knows it, and you and I know it. And so we were very happy to see him get the job, but then he predictably lost it when he starts asking, of course, the right questions. And I know in chapter 22, he made it seem like he cares about art more than he cares about people. And I mean, to some degree that might be true, but, <laughs> but he's always, he's like, if there's an innocent life that can be saved, he's going to save it. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm sold on why that is. Like, is he a good yeah. guy or is he just sort of like, Oh, this is just the best outcome. It's all about efficiency. I I, I don't yeah. know. I think that because that is a good point, and I think that's been touched on before. He is kind of an enigma there, where it could be that he is just trying to be as efficient as possible. Where why 
have loss of life if you don't need to. But then also, he, you know, he is a chist. He's not of the empire, and he's not used to like the way that they do things. Where Denasius is like, go blow it up, and Duril is like, oh, you know, let me do it. I don't care who I kill. I'll just get the W. But then Thrawn, you know, he he's not of the empire, and he's able to kind of look at it from a more objective point of view. I think I, that's that's my take. Where it's it could be a combination yeah. of both. It's hard to tell, but at least the appearance and the question of does this guy have a moral code because he seems to, and maybe it's buried beneath efficiency and getting the job done and getting the job done the right way. But he seems to have a moral code. And I think that just makes him 10 times more fascinating as a character instead of he was just an evil genius who didn't care about loss of life. You know, one of the previous chapters we'd seen him, you know, he had the chance to release the Wookiee slaves from the, uh, I think from Lanzan 26 space station. And he said, we're going to leave them here. Uh, when Eli questioned, you know, what are we going to do about the slaves? And and so we, we see that he is loyal to the empire, which, you know, it kind of sucks because the empire uses slaves and the empire also, you know, kills civilians at times. But when Thrawn is in control of what can happen in the situation, you know, he, he would rather not do what we consider to be the wrong thing, which is killing mm-hmm. hostages, for example, where in the slave situation, I guess, looking back, that was out of his hands. He wasn't in control of the slaves. It was out of his hands, but at the same time, I think if he had been like, execute these slaves for rising up, nobody would have batted an eye. Um, yeah. He did truly the most neutral thing, but I, there's a there's a worse turn that could take there yeah it, it still leaves us with a bad feeling where it's like yeah well that's kind of a reminder that the body that he's loyal to yeah but then we see moments like these where it's like yeah he is setting himself apart time and time again where he's not okay with killing hostages which is a great look for him bad look for Denasius and, and Duril yeah so Duril and his task force get the assignment and Thrawn is sent to his task force is sent to um, the planet of uh, Samoon and so the next scene in Eli's point of view, we're on this landing pad. And I love this image where Eli notices that Thrawn is kind of scrolling through images on his data pad, where he ends up clarifying that it's uh, Samuni art. But it's just, it was kind of my idea of Thrawn's version of scrolling through Instagram, where he's like studying this art, but he's just like flipping through pictures on his data pad, just like, oh, you know, <laughs> like that artwork, you know. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, meanwhile, Eli's like tucking away his Sports Illustrated, like out of shame, like, oh, yeah, art, that's the right thing to look at. It was funny. Um, but yeah, Thrawn is, is sure that Duril is just, he's going to fuck up, where he, his history shows that he prefers a more speedy approach than a more precise approach, which we gathered from that scene where, you know, he's like, give it to me. I don't, I don't care how we do it. Just get, you know, send in a few boats of stormtroopers. That'll, that'll do the trick. I also love this moment from Thrawn where they arrive at his civilian shuttle where he had, uh, I think in one of his recent victories over some smugglers, he had kept one of their shuttles for his own use. And he notices that Eli doesn't seem to like it. And he's kind of just giving the Eli a side eye, like, I see that you don't like my shuttle. And Eli says, and I quote, do you have to do that? And Thrawn responds, I find it tends to bypass unnecessary conversation. <laughs> I, wrote he's down, just... <laughs> I wrote down that quote, too. And next to it, I wrote, Thrawn would not be a good podcast guest. <laughs> he cuts the unnecessary chatter. It's <laughs> like, just, just straight to the point. Ten minutes later, yeah, that's the Thrawn episode. Would, Thrawn would not be into podcasts. 
Unless it was just like little two minute broadcasts of his quotes, like a warrior yeah. must sometimes become a hunter. Once you find your prey, you can never let them go. End of episode. He'd be good Sponsored at like little poetry by books. Starbucks. <laughs> Drink coffee for energy. Okay, we'll be back next week. <laughs> now go be efficient, you listeners. And that would literally be him. If he were to run a podcast, he just runs it in kind of like the Twitter, like 140 character limit where it's just like the most efficient way to say something. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if Thrawn got a Twitter, they'd be like, hey, you know, you have a 140 character limit. He'd be like, OK, what's the minimum? <laughs> <laughs> just... What's the least that I can write? <laughs> but to get <laughs> the same point across. <laughs> to send my tweet. Uh, I need to throw on Twitter. <laughs> um but yeah, so Thrawn sends Pharaoh and the Chimera to uh, Samoon, and he and Eli are going to kind of get some popcorn and see what happens with Duril on uh, Bataan. So, yeah. uh, and I like where when he's sending Pharaoh to deal with the insurgents on Samoon, he tells her that you know, your goal is to drive the rebels out. You don't need to destroy their position. And that's a that's just a blatant contrast to what Danasius was saying, where it's like, blow up the island, just get them out, where Thrawn's like, you don't need to destroy the island if mm-hmm. you don't have to. And I think from Zahn, I think that's very intentional, where he's letting us know just straight up yeah. the difference between their approaches, which I liked a lot. Yeah, and think of the chapter that we just had. Kessel was literally daring him to blow up the palace, like blow everything up, do what I know you're going to do as an imperial... Well, Kessel had a selfish, like, yeah, let's cover up my crime thing. That's also, like, had Thrawn done that, we'd be looking at, you know, multiple planets uprising in a war with the Jeffies. So Thrawn's got that in his head when he's in the meeting of, like, hey, we need to plan this out. Like, we these insurgents, like, just blowing them up isn't going to work, and they may actually be daring us to do that. And there's hostages. We can't be doing that, whereas uh, Daryl had, didn't have the, the previous chapter's experience, so... Like, Daryl's probably just been blowing stuff up his whole career. Yeah, which is very, very different running of things than what Thrawn does. And the consequences are, you know, Thrawn understands the consequences of those actions much more than probably anyone else does in, in the Navy. And mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing that he tried to reason with them and they wouldn't appeal to reason. And what we see next from what unfolds on Bataan is evidence of, of that. So, Oh, I got I got one more just to throw at you before you... So it's a little thing. So I mentioned that I'm trying to like actively trying to connect Thrawn's quotes that, you know, would make up his short podcast episodes um, from the beginning of each chapter to something that actually happens in the chapter. And so when I first read this one about like Hunter, I'm thinking, okay, he's back to hunting Night Swan. There's my meter again. But when he sends Pharaoh away and he gives her the instructions, she says, good hunting. And he says to you as well. And so this is the quote in action. Like, yeah, Thrawn and Eli are going to go sit back and watch the show, but Thrawn has now stepped out as a hunter for the rest of the chapter. So, yeah, yeah I just, anytime I can bring those quotes into the actual chapter, I've been trying to. I like that. And and we see from what does unfold that he is very much, even though he's kind of like a bystander in this whole sequence of events at Bataan, he's still very much on the hunt for what he's looking for here from the insurgents. Because they do take a spectator role on Bataan where it, I think they are in orbit, kind of observing on their scanners what's happening planet side where Duril's forces are going low altitude, kind of above the water, attacking this island. And I, I love this part where Thrawn is thinking to himself how much Eli has grown. 
how much his perception has grown. And I'm just going to read uh, this passage here. He says, and I quote, Vanto's insight and perception had grown remarkably over the years. He saw many of the patterns now, quickly grasping the underlying reasons and motivations. The deeper reasons still sometimes eluded him, but there was time. The young commander's tactical ability continued to grow, though Vanto himself was not fully aware of his progress. The focus now would be on improving his observation and training, and training his mind to assemble data and reach conclusions more quickly. And I like how... Up until now, the only information that we've got on Thrawn training Eli had come from Eli's own perceptions of what he's trying to guess what Thrawn is doing for him. But now this is like the first time that we see from Thrawn's point of view what he is specifically training Eli for. And I thought this was a great insight here. A lot of the times it feels like Thrawn's been like pulling his little lessons in for Eli as Thrawn is cooking up his plan, right? They're at a situation, whatever it is, and Thrawn's like, Hey man, here's what I'm thinking. What are you reading from what I am thinking? But this time he's literally just, he and Eli are momentarily just sitting back and watching this battle unfold. And we get everything that Thrawn is catching. Like we get those italics describing the pattern of the shields and the guns. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think we need to go into that, but like either way, long story short, Thrawn is catching everything. But he's also watching what Eli is catching just in a battle. And so this is like, oh, like Eli's made great progress and he's catching stuff and analyzing stuff without me having to force him to do it or without me prompting it anymore. That's what feels different about Thrawn's realization here. Because Eli is kind of commentating his views on on how Duril is setting up his attacking force. Yeah, I should do break. this instead of that. At first, he's not necessarily judging Duril. Then he ends up seeing what Duril could have done better here, what he didn't do. And it is like just a great moment where it's very unprompted from Thrawn, but Eli is just doing this on his own. So like you were hinting at, the battle is going really badly for Duril, where he's just firing straight into this shield generator, trying to uh, overload the shields. And the insurgent strategy here is to, while Duril is, is focusing as far on one part of the shields, they open up a section of the shield on like the on a different side of the island and fire their ion cannons at Duril. And by the time they've shifted their fire to where the ion shots came from, they've closed the shields, they'll open another part, fire from there, basically fainting, attacking from different spots, being unpredictable in their shots towards uh, Duril's ships. And yeah, Duril's just getting wrecked, where they're getting hit by ion fire, they even have a turbo laser, they're really getting their asses kicked. And Thrawn and Eli are, are spectating and just seeing how poorly this is going, and Thrawn notices that there's these eight freighters that kind of slip out from the island, and while Duril's focusing on firing at these cannons, at the shields, wherever they're popping up, these ships are making a run for it to the mainland. And one of these ships starts going into space and trying to jump into hyperspace, and the other seven ships are start breaking off and heading to seven different locations on the mainland. And Thrawn does tell Eli, contact that ship trying to jump. And we get this great moment from Eli where he's posing as a smuggler, (laughs) as an arms dealer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, the movie Training Day. I haven't, no. Okay, with, uh, so good. Um, So it's about a, a rookie cop who wants to be like a drug cop, a, uh, a narco. 
and he's being schooled by a seasoned cop who's like actually very crooked, Stenzel Washington, and it's great. And there's a scene where he's spending the day teaching him how to like be in the streets. And so they pull up to a drug dealer who's played by Snoop Dogg, and he's sitting in a wheelchair. And it's as ridiculous as it sounds, but this very, very white boy, preppy looking officer, like, wears a hoodie. <laughs> and he's like, hey, man, you uh, you got some crack, like $20, some crack. And <laughs> the drug dealer, played by Snoop Dogg, I'll remind you, immediately smells the bait and doesn't take it. And I just couldn't help but think of this when <laughs> Eli's like, hey, man, like, let me sweeten the cake. I'll put a little more icing on your yeah, arms. Yeah, maybe you like cake. You want, add a little you frosting to your coordinates, cake. man. Like, <laughs> he's like playing it cool with the smuggler lingo. And it's just hysterical. It, it was so out of character. It was so funny. It's like. It's it's just like the obvious undercover cop where it's like, yeah. <laughs> try to add some frosting to your cake. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> you hey, buy man, what I'm buying or selling. selling. It's like we're we're selling, and uh, well, this stuff's already like spoken for. All right, well then I might sell you something, my man. <laughs> it's just <laughs> how he hangs in there for this is unbelievable. I mean, and it, but he does though. He ends up getting these coordinates from. The ship where even Thrawn and Eli can guess, it's probably a trap. There's no way that they fell for this. They're probably giving us coordinates to jump to somewhere where they can observe us and see what we actually are about. Because they only they only know that Eli's aboard the ship, I guess, because Eli's the only one communicating with them. But basically, but, just but seeing... But they, they smell a rat. Yeah. This, and, and if they didn't, then they're just bad at their job. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, props to Eli for trying. You know, it is a really tough situation to be a part of because Thrawn didn't coach him on anything to say. This was well, all yeah, just... He gave him 30 seconds warning. Like, yeah. he prepared me for this podcast way better than Thrawn did for Eli and these are armed smugglers like you're just you <laughs> different state you know again evidence Thrawn would not really be good at a podcast it's like 30 minutes oh, yeah. before <laughs> be like, all right recording five four oh by the way we're uh covering chapter 30 you take notes and three two one you're on oh, we're going hey. <laughs> It's just—it's just great thinking on the spot from Eli, as painfully obvious as it was that he, you know, wasn't an actual smuggler. They did get some kind of result here, where the ship sent them these coordinates. And after giving the coordinates to Eli and Thrawn, the ship kind of hangs around for a little bit before jumping to hyperspace. And Thrawn is speculating here that they could be waiting to see. If this ship, if the shuttle would follow the eighth ship or see where the other seven are going, because their guess is if this is an Imperial posing as a smuggler, they would probably stick around to see where seven shuttles were going rather than just following one other one. And this is a good moment again for Eli where Thrawn is asking, okay, so what should we choose? Follow the eighth or observe where the seven shuttles are going. And Eli, again, this is unprompted where he's, he's thinking, okay, the different pros and cons, wait, hang on, we don't need to choose because you already have someone else observing where the other seven are going and we can just go and follow the eighth where because Thrawn had yeah. asked for one of his captains to detach a shuttle from the task force you know, he didn't say why, but Eli's kind of pieced together that the reason he asked for this extra shuttle was because he just had someone, you know, sticking around to see if they could learn anything new while Thrawn and Eli might have to go follow someone else, which I thought was a great moment from Eli. Yeah, and I mean, this is 
this feels like a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a classic one of Thrawn's lessons where like Thrawn has a plan and asks Eli what he would do. And then Thrawn reveals his plan. But Eli's at this point, he's onto it. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I know what you're pulling. Like, I've been with yeah. you enough to, to know that you planned ahead for this, didn't you? And Thrawn's like, yep. And there's the lesson. He didn't even have to make this big old reveal. Eli was able to, to see it before Thrawn could enlighten him, which great couple moments for Eli to end the chapter, even though we had that painful undercover cop moment from him. But overall, yeah, no, some good stuff. Overall, and your note of Thrawn's note of how far he's come is absolutely reinforced. Like, Eli's not just able to read and analyze the battle and like, oh, Daryl should do this instead of that. And, oh man, like this is just not working out and this might work better. But also he's on to Thrawn's, uh, his trickery, his chicanery. He's he's <laughs> on to what Thrawn's got up his sleeve. He knows his, his games by now. So props to Eli. And you know, the chapter ends with them preparing to jump to those coordinates and they're leaving Daryl. Uh, you know, Thrawn was nice enough to make an emergency call to high command to get derail some backup but they are on their way to follow this eighth ship and that's how the chapter ends uh do you have any closing thoughts on chapter 23 no i mean this was a solid one it was a very solid one this chapter just had all the stuff that this book is full of like the first half is the meeting and these characters clashing with each other and arguing about different methods and that works to reveal some of our character it's also got a battle and a little puzzle to solve and it's got some Thrawn trickery in it. So, yeah, this chapter's really got it all. Plus, we get to reflect on how far that Eli has come. So, yeah, just yeah, very, very well-paced chapter. Yeah, and and I get to ask you this because this is as far as you've read. Do you have it any pr- predictions for what might happen uh, when they're following these smugglers? Yeah, I mean, it is a trap. It's got to be a trap. And, it's always a trap, yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, but I think Pharaoh's going to come bail out Thrawn. I'm also, I'm thinking about the numbers of chapters, right? I know there's 32 chapters and I know the next one's 24. And so at some point... 30 including the epilogue, but either way, we're winding down. We're winding down and this whole Night Swan thing, my Night Swan meter has got to reach (laughs) capacity (laughs) by the time this book is over. And I'm smelling him involved in this crisis on Bataan. I don't think he's on the shuttle that they hailed. I think they're going to him. So I think we're going to get some good face-to-face with Night Swan uh, coming up here. And that's that's my call. That's my that's my uneducated, unread-ahead call. This is good. This is good. So I'll have to keep tabs on your reaction for what happens next. Because uh, like you said, this is just a, a great chapter and it's setting up for, you know, we are kind of like in the closing stages of the book. So whatever happens from here, it's bound to be good. So... We do have some time left. You know, we got this chapter done. We've got some time left. Uh, and I know that you've told me that, you know, being the movie buff that you are, that you thought of some actors that you think could portray some characters from this book, whether it be like in a movie or a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let, let's open the floor to that. I'm very intrigued because okay. I've got some ideas for so, at least Thrawn and Eli. But yeah, let's... Um, so, so my initial thought is that we're in the age of Disney+. Plus. And that means that we can do an extended kind of eight-part miniseries and people will be into it. Um, I'd, be, I'd be into it, yeah. Well, I, I would be too. But sort of contrasted to The Mandalorian, this one isn't about like the fun gunfights and the feeling of like the wild, wild west. 
that early Star Wars captured. This is this is honestly a lot more sort of early Game of Thrones plotting. Mm. Occasionally there's some battles, but it's it's much more about the decisions that leaders make in and around them. Yeah. Um, so I just long story short, there's a space for a show like this to exist. And 30, 32 chapters, you know, eight 45-minute episodes, it could work and you wouldn't have to slice out too much of the book. Yeah. One more thing about, about pacing it like that is that at the start of the second episode, you could just open up on Arinda Price and your viewers will be so thrown because, like, well, what? Like, this show isn't about her. Um, yeah. That would be a fun show to make. I also went ahead and created what what I thought would be the uh, the dream team casting. <laughs> so I picked I picked a bunch of characters. I didn't pick somebody for Night Swan because as of my reading, we haven't met him yet. Yeah. But given that he's sort of Thrawn's opposite here in this book, I have a couple of options for Thrawn, and if we don't use one of them, we can use Probably one of them the, yeah. for Night Swan. <laughs> would be my fair thought. point. Okay. You said you also had a couple because this. Yeah, I'm interested to see. If uh, I think have my some list might be a little longer than yours, but you know that's that's just the quarantine uh, quarantine life. Yeah, man. Okay, so I guess Thrawn first. I I picked three. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, top choice is Cumberbatch. Okay. But if we're a little sick of you know these British super intelligent villains, and we think that Cumberbatch has played too many super intelligent people and villains in his life. Uh, we could also do Mahershala Ali, Mahershala Ali or Javier Bardem for Thrawn. I gotta this is really up, reaching high. Doing a quick Google search because I'm terrible with actor names but faces. Okay. So oh. Javier Bardem was the villain from Skyfall. He was also oh, right. the crazy assassin in No Country for Old Men. But he also works very well as sort of like an intelligent character and we'll just make him a little less psycho yeah. than he has been in some of his movies <laughs> and rehearsal is just one of the finest actors working working today so you know getting him is just a win who did you have that's a, that's a good lineup i i did have cumberbatch in my i i think yeah. i was talking with some friends and we had a top three uh short list where i think cumberbatch was our first i also think michael fassbender might be oh a good, good Thrawn, um, yeah. <laughs> Michael Fassbender, and we also thought of um, Jason Isaacs. That's good. So that's another. That's that's British, swapping you know. in one British villain for <laughs> <Yeah>. another. <laughs> so for you got a little bit more variety there. But um, I love the sound of his voice. I think Jason Isaacs would make a great like. He'd make a great cameo as like Kessel or like one of these mm. sort of little minor guys that Denasius Thrawn runs into or... along the way. Yeah. Oh, that'd be good. What if he was ranking, actually? Ooh. He, what if he was ranking. ranking? Oh, yeah. I want to hear the rest of your uh, the rest of your list, though. Okay. So next, moving on to EY, I got three options for you. Okay. Uh, first is Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges. I'm, I'm doing quick Google searches just to... Uh, uh, Manchester searches. by the Sea, kid. I didn't see that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 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 I could see that. So I went for young looking, but not too boyish. Yeah. Like Tom Holland is out for me. Yeah, true, Timothy true. Chalamet is out for me. They they just look a little too boyish and a little too pretty boy for me. Yeah, no, I don't. Next yeah. up, I was actually a little bit of a stretch for me, but I you know I'm I'm trying to present just a couple of non-white options if we really want them to stand out yeah, against 
our empire, you know? True, true, true. We want to sort of make that a strong current of our show. We can do that. Um, Tony Revolori was the kid from the Grand Budapest Hotel, and he's not been much else, but he was great. And then the third is uh, George McKay was one of the soldiers from 1917. I was, okay, I was thinking... He's the taller one. Okay, because I thought equal i thought of dean charles chapman um, okay who was as, the other the shorter yeah, soldier right? so we yeah. both had like a 1917 character in there yeah that's cool that we thought of like the same same movie yeah. except you just thought of his, his counterpart those would all be really great eli picks dang you got so you got spot on so far with uh with Thrawn oh. and eli <laughs> so next up orinda of course yep i give you alicia vikander oh yeah yep <laughs> uh I think she can do the range of like, you really feel for her and are rooting for her in the beginning, but she can also get kind of ruthless, True. kind of boss lady. The next two are, I think, a little bit more on the boss lady side. So I have a uh, Jessica Chastain, who was a uh, Zero Dark Thirty, Molly's Game. Wait, wasn't she also in Interstellar? She was. Yeah, yeah. She, would be, she would be an interesting Rinda Price. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I think I'm just picturing her in like a power suit because I've seen her in a lot of yeah. movies where she wears a power suit as in charge. Uh, fair, fair. And the last one is uh, Zoe Saldana. Oh, nice. Wait, we know her from Westworld, don't we? Was she in Westworld? I mean, yeah, we can know her from Oh, yeah, from things. other things. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I know her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I-, I like how you're getting like a lot of diversity in these picks, too, where it's like you could have easily, for like Thrawn, for example, just picked like, you know, you're one of your traditional white British villains, but like you're getting a lot of diversity in here, too. I, I really like that a lot. I'm, I'm trying to. Um, but I mean, Mahershala and Javier Bardem are just yeah. terrific actors so good so good and end of story you know no matter where they're from not up for um chief palpatine is gonna be who always plays him ian mcdarmid has to be i just yep. <laughs> i love him so much i got a you lauren for you okay okay brian cranston that would be cool that would be really cool i did not even i did not think of a, a pick for you lauren i kind of just yeah, that that would be yeah. cool i like that i'm picking some random characters that's for sure i have wahir as Lupita Nyong'o, because I think when she gets put in jail, is just going to break your heart. But you can effectively sell that she can yeah. handle herself in combat. Oh, and true. Because she was very bad. Fun to be around. Like, yeah. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. I've also got a driller. I know that okay. one year gonna... we'll probably get a little more screen time. For yeah. driller, I've got a Dane DeHaan. He was the Green Goblin in those Spider-Man movies with... You're right. And that's that's Driller. Because he's just a little shifty. Yeah, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> and like Driller, even, he's just even a little shifty. Even when he shifty. plays a straight-up good guy, you just can't trust it. Is, Something is, is wrong actor. there. <laughs> um, so my ranking, I really like, I really like Jason Isaacs. That was yeah. a good pick. I've got. I picked Clive Owen for ranking. Oh, nice. Wait, where do we, where do we know him from? I'm so bad at this. Somebody who's not me would know him from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe the listeners are just screaming at. Yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's, there's like one right listener who's like, "Oh hell yeah." <laughs> um, I give you. I got two picks for you for Gotti, and then after this, I'm doing Tarkin. Um, okay. And that'll be my list. Fair. So for Gotti, I got a guy named Corey Stoll. Is my first choice. He was a senator in the first season of House of Cards. 
Um, who was like a drug addict and he's been in lots of other stuff oh that would be oh he would him as that would Gotti. be a great pick oh snap that would be awesome are you kidding me i think Dude. it's a little too little too spot on just given his house yeah, of little... character. <laughs> yeah, um and then my other pick for Gotti would be uh carl urban he was <laughs> <laughs> he was the the doctor from star trek <laughs> Wasn't he also freaking Aomer? <laughs> he was. He's he he has a streak of being in tons of bad action movies, but just like being able to consistently sell it. Yeah. Um. And then That's an interesting for, uh, pick. for Tarkin, I'm bringing it home with uh, Sir Charles Dance, who played my man Tywin Lannister, old oh. man Lannister, as Tarkin. He would be so good as Tarkin. Why have I never thought of that? Are you kidding me? Dude, that is that I is mean, spot you on. and I can think of it all that we want, but until a casting executive yeah, at Disney true, true. thinks these thoughts, this it'll this never cast happen. would cost a shit ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the dream team. Like we're talking like four or five Oscar winners in here, and like another no big deal, right? Been nominated. Like it's you're playing hardball here. This is like it's a stretch. Back. I am. I'm playing hardball. This series would really be something else if we can get this. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I feel like that speaks to this book. Like a guy like me, who's maybe not as hardcore of a uh, a Star Wars fan outside the realm of the movies, can just dive into the, like this book and these characters and the way that they're written and just eat them up. Like for me, if I can do what I just did of like take the time to pick actors to play these people you've written a compelling character for me so yeah i i think that zahn has really done a great job and even like the characters that only showed up i mean i guess it's kind of it's easier with tarkin because we already knew how much of a badass he was but being able to create just these intimidating presences of like ranking and Gotti, who aren't even necessarily main characters but just they still have such an impact when they show up. I just think what he's been able to do with main characters and kind of like the side characters as well, he's written a great story. I'm really glad that you've enjoyed it as much and are also able to be critical about it too. It, it, it's uh, This has been really great. Getting your fresh takes and, and just being able to hear your first reactions to this. And, you know, because I've, I've always been kind of biased towards it because it was the first Star Wars book that I read when I was, you know, a young adult. And... I'm I'm kind of just I've always loved it and and hearing you who've you know you were a big fan from the movies and this is like your first one of your first steps into the literature. Yeah, this it's, is, it's this is really a big great. step away from the movies for me. Yeah. Um, but I've been I've been eating it up. It's been a lot of fun and I wouldn't criticize it if it wasn't compelling. Like That's it's good. it's challenging my thoughts and I like this and maybe don't like the way that that's written. If it was a really bad book with uninteresting characters, I wouldn't have much to say one way or the other about it. It's it's almost like, oh, man, like these are the small things that, oh, if they were just fixed, this would just be even one step better because it's already yeah. good. So I really enjoyed reading it. And I really do hope that they make a show, a Thrawn show one day. I know that he showed up in Rebels. They're talking about a sequel show to that, but I need a show that I mean, this, a, a this... villains of an imperial villains show alone be... is is way overdue. Yeah, and Ron is a fantastic think becoming... character to center it around. Yeah, I, I mean, because they've still got new books coming out about him. You know, he's very much not done 
as mm-hmm. a character. And I, I really, oh, well, just hearing your your thoughts on who you think could portray these characters, I really want like, even if it's not this book that's made into a into like a mini series, just a, a show about this guy, uh, would be. I think if they don't make that happen, it'd be a real missed opportunity. I, I think, but I don't know. Yeah, you, you hear this, uh, Disney creative team? You hear yeah. us? <laughs> We're here and we have ideas. <laughs> Listen to me now. <laughs> now. Uh, so, John, thank you so much again for making the time to come on the show and offering these takes and have a little bit of fun, you know, speculating on what a show could look like for this. I, I really appreciate you making the time, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, hey, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for letting me, yeah, give my takes and, and spin my wheels I mean, getting into a fresh book and exploring characters and analyzing and oh, who would play who in a show is just a great thing for, for my mind and anybody's mind during yeah. this pretty weird time in all of our lives. So yeah, you've been making the most I, of that. And... You are you are doing good work, my friend. I appreciate that. And I, I really I bet the listeners also enjoy your your creative takes on on the, the Oh oh I hope the casting. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a drop in viewership, we both know why. We both oh <laughs> you're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, John. I really appreciate that, man. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media, feel free to give our Twitter account a follow at Outer Rim Read Pod. And you can listen to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, feel free to give a good review if you're enjoying the show. Good reviews on Apple Podcasts really help other listeners who are interested in Star Wars literature or Star Wars in general to find Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is produced by Andrew Geha, and it is edited by Andrew Geha. And we will be back in two weeks with episode 14. So until then, sit back and enjoy. If you're a fan of opera... Stick around one of the screens here. There's a televised performance of Squid Lake coming up soon at the Galaxy's Opera House.